All right, good morning once again, Friendship Church. We are in week number seven of our verse-by-verse walk through the book of Colossians. Um, And so we've been at seven weeks already. And so we are continuing that verse by verse. When we uh, look at a letter or an epistle, we look at the whole thing. So we're going to look at every single verse, and we're walking through a little bit each week. And we are at the part where uh, Paul is telling us how we should take all this information that he really gave us in chapters 1 and 2. He's given us some uh, examples of how we are to live this out in our everyday life. And so last week we talked a lot about how... Uh, you used to live in a certain way where you would express yourself through fits of rage or you would even have sexual morality or gossip and slander or whatever it may be, but you have left that life and now this is how we treat each other with forgiveness and love and patience and grace and all these things. Um, and so that was kind of a practical, this is how we're supposed to treat each other. Um, now we're moving into um, a couple of things here. Uh, today and next week are very, very, very specific in what he's talking about and how we're supposed to live this out. So today we're looking at the Christ-centered family. A Christ-centered family is what we're looking at today because Christ is all that matters. That is the slogan for our Colossians. If you could, if you could narrow Colossians down to one uh, sentence, that's what it would be. Christ is all that matters, and Christ needs to be all that matters in our family as well, right? Uh, Jesus is at the center of it all, and that includes our family. And so as we look to Colossians chapter 3, I only have four verses for you. Uh, each verse could be its own sermon and maybe even its own sermon series. So I have a lot to say, but we're only doing four verses. Let's just read the four verses so that we know exactly what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, and then we'll get into it. Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not off to a good start. <laughs> All right, I see some of you brought your throwing tomatoes, and so this is great. I just ask, before you throw them at me, let me finish the sermon, okay? Let me finish what I had to say about it all, and then you can throw your tomatoes at me, okay? All right. (laughs) Okay, let's just read the verses, and we'll, we'll do it. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives... I'm I'm giving it to you. Here you go. Never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. I mean, I'm preaching. I'm not even preaching. I'm just reading the scripture, you know. Uh, 21, fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. All right, so these are the four verses that we're looking at. We're looking at wives, we're looking at husbands, we're looking at children, and we're looking at parents as well, specifically fathers. Um... But listen, the culture does not like what the Bible says here. Just plain and simple. The the culture that we live in um, does not like uh, many of these verses. What's interesting is that the culture, depending on, you know, you're talking about the first century A.D. in Israel. uh, If you're talking about Texas in 2024, if you want to talk about parts of Africa or England or Australia throughout the last 2,000 years, different cultures abhor one or two or three of these verses in different spots, right? 
I mean, back then, maybe the most challenging verse was verse 19. Uh, today, the verse that many people scoff at would be verse 18. It just it depends on the culture, it depends on the time, and that's why the Word of God cuts through all culture. It doesn't matter what the people in the world say, this is the Word of God. Um, and so since He has created everything, He knows how everything works. And so He created the cosmos and the orbit around the sun, and we just accept that, and so we believe uh, God and what He says about it. God created the human body. He understands the white and red blood cells and the veins, and so we go, okay, God, so I, I need to take medicine when this happens, or, and we accept that. But sometimes when it comes to our family, we go, well, I, I'll, I'll figure that out, God. No, God created the family as well, and so we listen to what he says about the family. The culture doesn't like really anything that the Bible says, by the way. Uh, the culture does not like what the Bible says about sexuality. And it says, listen, you should be able to do whatever you want to. And the Bible says, actually, no. There are, there are things that are uh, confined to the uh, marriage of one man and one woman. The, uh, the culture doesn't like how the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way. It says, well, we, we should respect all uh, religions uh, here today. Actually, no, because all those other religions send you to hell, whereas Christianity go, goes, takes us to heaven, right? So we should not, the culture disagrees with about everything the Bible says. And so we shouldn't listen to the culture um, because it's going to disagree with the Bible, we have to decide who we are going to listen and follow. Is it going to be the Word of God or is it going to be culture? The culture does not want us to talk about how men and women are different. Uh, different does not mean inferior. Different means different. But the culture doesn't even want us to talk about it. Um, how many times in the last five years have you heard the term toxic masculinity? And how many times have you heard the term toxic femininity? <laughs> Not as much, probably. Because in our culture, it's okay to down men, but you better not say anything against a woman. It's very interesting how that works out that way. And that's how the culture goes. What the culture is trying to do is to attack the biblical view of marriage any way that it possibly can. The culture wants you to look at the Bible through their eyes, through feminist eyes or oppressed eyes or Democrat eyes or Republican eyes or even American eyes. But we are not to look at the Bible through people's eyes. We look at the culture through the Bible's eyes. And that's how we walk. So let's start with the first verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. Listen, submission is a regular part of the Christian, Christian's life. We understand that. We know that we submit to Jesus, correct? The, the, the idea that submission is a bad word is not necessarily true, just because part of the culture wants to say that it is. If we are a Christian, we understand submitting. We submit to the Lord. When the Lord tells us in his word to do some things, and even if we don't want to do them, if we want to continue with the relationship of God, we submit to his authority. Yes? So this, this word submit is not a bad word. In fact, if you have an issue with the word submission, you have an issue following Christ. All of us are called to put others' needs above our own. This should not be a problem. All of us are supposed to yield it to each other's faults, to forgive each other when they do something wrong. As I said last week, we are all the same 
at the foot of the cross in terms of salvation. At different times of our life, there's going to be different authority that is given to different people. That doesn't mean that they're closer to the Lord than you are. It means at different parts of life, there's going to be different authority that's given. Um, And so this submission that wives are to give to their husbands is not a forced submission. It is willfully given to the head of the house, as it says here in the Word of God. So God is talking to wives here. He's not talking to husbands here. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says, Wives, submit to your husbands. This is a willful, volunteer submission. This is not, now husbands, make sure your wives submit. There's a difference. Do you see the difference in this? Wives, willfully submit yourself is different than husbands, make sure they're submitting. He's not calling you to do that. I'll tell you what he's calling you to do here in just a minute, okay? Right now, he's asking you that as a Christian wife, this is how to behave. Our job is not to make sure that everybody else is doing their job. Our job is to do our job. The enemy of this is pride and selfishness. And the culture wants to buck up against that. And sometimes we as Christians want to buck up against any authority that's, that's put in our life. Uh, or any submission that we feel like that we have to do. But understand that wives do this as fitting to the Lord. So graciously submitting to your husband is actually serving Christ, not necessarily serving husband. It's serving Christ. It says, submit your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So actually you're obeying Christ in this regard. It doesn't say obey, it says submit. Submitting to uh, Christ in that regard. Titus chapter 2. So this helps us out. Uh, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Again, this is how the Lord has set up, set up the world. Same orbit around the sun, the things that go through our body, and this is how he set up marriage as well. And so when you do this, you don't bring shame on the word of God. So me, as a minister of the gospel, I can, I can tell you what the word says. This is what we need to do. But as far as the ins and outs of what, what does it mean actually to submit to your husband? What, what does this look like? What if he wants to move to this state and I don't want to move there? Or this, he wants to uh, train the children like this. I'm not sure if that's how we do it. What exactly do we do here? This is when older women can help out and teach some of the younger women. This is an Elijah-Elisha situation sometimes where we can help each other out. Sometimes that is the mother helping the daughter in dealing with uh, husband. Now, we don't stick our nose in necessarily. There's a difference in that. Um, but helping in a helpful way on how to be this type of wife that the Bible calls us to is helpful. So the older women help some of the younger women to learn how to live life. It goes on to talk about how the older men help the younger men as well on how they're supposed to lead. And so we have to listen to that as well. Verse 5, it says, to work in their homes. This is part of roles and responsibilities. This is part of the the differences that come. Um, The roles and responsibilities may be different. Now, this does not mean that this is the only thing that the wife should do, is work in the home. 
And it also doesn't say that they're the only one that's supposed to help out around the house. That's not what it says either, okay? What it says is, is that part of her role and responsibility is the house. If you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, which the Bible says is the perfect woman, he says in there that the woman will buy a piece of property with the money of her labor. So the idea that the wife is not allowed to work outside of the house is incorrect. Okay? It's incorrect. She buys a field with the money of her labor, so she can work outside the house. I don't want to use the word allowed, but she can work outside the house. But understand, the responsibility of the home falls under the wife. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Bible here, what it says. And guys, I'll get to your responsibility in just a second. But that is part of the responsibility that God has laid out for us. Imagine this conversation between a wife and a husband. The wife says, listen, I want to have a voice in the decisions that we make. Where we're going to live, how we're going to raise our kids, what we're going to do. But you as the head of the household needs to make the final decision. Is this an oppressive moment or is this a moment of love and submission? And if you're convinced that this is oppressive, there's nothing I can say to you. We've, we've, in America, we've learned this new word that now everything is oppressive. And it's not. This is a moment of love and submission. God says, here's how you are to handle this. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. Wait for it. And the head of Christ is God. Wait a minute. So there's some sort of submission in the Godhead. We've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Philippians says that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God when he came down. So there is a perfect model of Christ in submitting to the will of God the Father. He said in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. So wives, we are like Jesus when we submit to our husbands as Jesus submitted to God the Father. We've got a model right there for us in the Godhead. How interesting is that? I'm tired of our culture making Christian women feel bad for taking care of their husbands. You shouldn't feel bad. This is God's order and design. Do not look at the Bible through corrupted eyes. Look through the Bible at a culture that is corrupted and turn to Christ. This is where we turn to Christ. This is why that Christ is all that matters. First Peter, different author. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So that's even if you are a wife that your husband does not know the Lord, what you can do is show the love of Christ to them to then win them over. There is a pathway to that, and that's how you're supposed to do it. This is good and proper for wives to do. Now, let's talk to husbands. 
Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. His commands are not to control. His command is to love. Why? Because he knew we would have no problem telling people what to do. (laughs) But we would have a problem walking in love. Now, some of us think, yeah, of course I love my wife. And we'll say, maybe we have this attitude of, honey, I told you that I loved you on our wedding day. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. That is not the attitude to have. Okay? Love, and this is good, by the way, for the younger people in the crowd who are not married. Love is not about feelings. It is not a feeling. Okay? It's not just, I love this person so much, that's why I want to marry them. No, you marry someone because you want to put her needs above yours for the rest of your life. That's loving. We don't marry someone we love, we love someone we marry. Did you catch that? We don't marry the one we love, we love the one we marry. So if we marry someone, we love them, and we show them what love is. Love is an action. It is a verb. God did not tell you to fall in love. He told you to walk in love. If you fall in love, you can fall out of love. Do not listen to this garbage. Loving someone is showing them love. If one of you is going to be cold, it should be you, man. Give her your jacket. If one of you is going to be hungry, it should be you, man. Let her eat some food. If one of you is going to be sore, it should be you. You carry the heavy box. It's just simple things, simple practical things to do this. Ephesians 5.25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So once again, a wife is close to the Lord by acting like Jesus and The husband is just like the Lord when he acts like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and died on the cross for for the church, for our sins. So we are just just like Jesus. Jesus did not die on the earth. Jesus didn't show his love by saying, I have strong feelings for you. No, he showed his love by acting. And that's why Christ is all that matters. So when your wife mistreats you, husband, what a great opportunity to show her the love of Christ. Wonderful opportunity. This is what we do. We do things. It's not just I have loving feelings. There was a book that came out several years ago, fantastic book called Five Love Languages. And it walks through the ways that we are supposed to love those that we love. And in this instance, I want to talk about husbands to wives. There are certain things that you can do, physically, actually do, that show that you love her. And what you find out is um, our wives receive love different from other people. There are some wives that they know that you love them because you want to spend time with them. They, they love it. They just would you sit down and just watch a TV show with me? Can we go out to dinner sometime? Can we spend time together? And the wife knows that the husband loves because he chooses to spend time with her. Another love language is gifts. There are sometimes that they love to receive gifts. 
they feel loved whenever you think of them to buy them something. Whether that's jewelry or chocolate or Astros tickets. Hey, what are they like? I don't know. (laughs) Get them what they like. That they feel loved when they receive that. Some, it's touch. Whether you're by themselves, if you just reach over and hold their hand. Maybe sometimes it's in a, a, a crowd of people. As you're walking through, you put your arm around her. You, you gently touch their back as you're watching. There's, as you're walking, there's some ladies who they feel loved when you just touch them. Some of them, it's words of affirmation. Look them in the eye and say, you are, you are a good mom. You need to hear me say that. You need to hear me say, listen, what, the way that you have fixed up this living room, thank God you are in my life because I would not have done this. And this looks fantastic. Say the words out loud so that they can hear it. And they will feel love from you. And some of you, some it's acts of service. Wife gets home and the dishes are already done. He loves me. Right? You fix the bookshelf. You do love me. You know? It's you do actual acts. You do things. So this would actually be a great conversation today at lunch. Because all five of these things, every wife would would feel some bit of love, but there's probably one or two that really speaks to them. So to actually ask, maybe you have permission to ask here today, of those five, which one, hopefully you already know that, but that's okay. If you don't know it, you can ask. You can ask, which one do you feel most loved when I do? And ladies, help us out. Sometimes we don't know. Just, just, give it, just give us one. Just give us one time. Okay, I'll tell you once. Now let's see if you listen, okay? But what a great conversation to have. Husbands receive a different... If you really want to get deeper in it too, there's, there's some times that we receive love different than the way that we give love. You know, like maybe I like to hear words of affirmation, but I show you that I love you because I buy things for you. I don't want to hear it. I just want to buy something for you. So that, that gets even deeper. But us as, us as husbands, we need to understand that sometimes there's a way that we show love, but are they hearing it? Because they might hear love different than the way that you show it. And we want to, we want to know what that is. So there's not a ton of biblical, great biblical husbands in the Bible when you think about it. When you look at, there are great men of God who do awesome things, but as far as standout husbands in the Bible, there's actually not a ton. Abraham lied about Sarah several times. Jacob married two sisters? Good luck with that, man. Samson was a womanizer. Solomon, Ananias led Sapphira right into that. There is one standout example in the Bible of a godly husband, it seems, from beginning to end. And guys, you're not going to like it. The best example is Hosea. Hosea, if you don't know the story, God told Hosea to marry Gomer the prostitute. Basically, to, to give an example and to show him that your wife is going to cheat on you often. But you are to love her just as the way that I have a covenant with my people and they keep cheating on me with other gods. 
And I want you to feel that and see that so that you know what to preach. And Hosea, even though he was cheated on time after time after time, loved his wife. That is not a job that I would want to sign up for. But that is what God asked Hosea to do. And you know what? Hosea, to his credit, did it. What a biblical example of a husband that even if your wife is acting unlovable, you love her. Authority doesn't mean boss. It means responsibility. We are to exercise loving leadership, not dictatorial dominion. So to sum up, husbands and wives... A wise and Christ-honoring husband will not abuse his leadership role. At the same time, a wise and Christ-honoring wife will not try to undermine her husband's leadership. Submission is rarely a problem in homes where both partners have a strong relationship with Christ and where each is concerned for the well-being of the other. This is what we're supposed to do. Yes, we submit to each other. Ephesians says this as well. But if we are both after the well-being of the other person and we are putting Christ first in our relationship, this is the way that God has it lined up for us. If you imagine a, a triangle with Christ at the top and you get the husband and you get the wife, if you want them to grow closer together, have them both grow closer to the Lord and they will grow closer to each other. Children, are there kids in the room? Teenagers, young adults, Colossians 3.20. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Children, you need to honor and obey your parents and this is good for you. Believe it or not, this is good for you to honor and I'm going to say the word obey. That's what the Bible says. Obey your parents. Listen, you are learning how to live in a society with others and you don't know how to live in that society. Okay, And so you need to... It is proper to honor those who are in authority over you, and God has given you a mother and a father in which to learn from. I'll get to mothers and fathers in a second, but for children, you are to honor and obey your parents. This is good because it shows you that there is a moral authority. We are all under and submit to God, but it is hard to honor God if you do not honor your mother or father. Because you don't understand, you choose not to understand that there is a hierarchy, okay? You are to obey them, and you are to obey them the first time they ask you, not the third time that they ask you. Sweetie, let's turn the TV off. It's time for dinner. Hun, dinner's ready. Let's turn the TV off. Hey, dinner's ready. Let's go. Mom, why are you always yelling? Because you didn't listen to me the first time, or the second time, or the third time. If you, if you obey the third or fourth time, that's actually not, not obedience. You're, you're trying to lessen the punishment. Obedience is the first time they ask you to do something. The culture wants you to be on the same level as your parents, and you are not on the same level as your parents. You're not on the same level. Teenagers, young people in the room, the Bible does not teach that parents need to get down on your level to speak to you. 
that is non-Christian psychology, that is worldly wisdom. That is what is in the culture today. Well, parents, if you just, if you just get down on your, children, on your child's level and listen to them, then you can have a relationship. No. You're not called to listen to them. They are called to listen to you. You are the authority in the home. Okay, sorry. I'll get to y'all in a second. But as children, a child should never say the term, I have my rights in the house. You do not. (laughs) You are under your mother and father's authority. Do not speak to your parents the same way that you talk to your friends. Do not walk in and say, bruh, what's for dinner? No. No. Your father is not your bruh. You say father or dad. Do not call them by their first name. They are not your friend. They are your authority. They are your mother and they are your father. I saw the other day, I know this is kind of a southern thing, but, but yes sir, no sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I, I, I really, that's, that's more Southern than Bible. <laughs> but it shows respect. And I was walking somewhere the other day. I think it was Target. And there was a father talking to, he looked about 16. And he said, I just heard him in passing as I was walking by. And the father said, here, go get this and this and meet me at the front. And he said, yes, sir. And I was like, I haven't heard that. You know, wh- where did that come from? Yes, sir. He wasn't getting on to the child. He was saying, here, let's do this. Meet me over here. Yes, sir. That is a show of respect for who your parents are. Let me just say this real quickly. Know this, parents. If your kids see you honoring your parents, there is a greater chance that they will honor you as well. I I think, what do I want from my kids? Like, what do I want from my kids? a, A weird thing has happened where I, so I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old and a, and a 15-year-old. And so they, they've gotten to this point where now they have a little bit of their own money. And so I had the weirdest question probably two years ago it started. They said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I don't want you to get me anything for Christmas, you know? Like, I, I actually don't. I, you know, no, 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 what do you want for Christmas, Dad? And I'm thinking, I don't want you to buy me anything for Christmas. Now, when Becky says, what do you want for Christmas, I got a list for her, you know, that she's got to, you know. But, um, but for, like for my kids, I'm like, I, I really don't want you to buy me anything. And I got to thinking about this. I read this verse, and I, I've under, I, I have always understood the verse, but I understood this verse on a deeper level. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I thought, the culture will twist, this is what the culture does, twists a Bible verse to make it sound as worse as it possibly can. Oh, that's very oppressive. So if you obey your daddy in heaven, then maybe he'll love you. That's not what the verse says. That's not what the verse means. Okay? But they will try to twist every verse as as much as they can. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why is that? Because I created you. I know what's best for you. If you stay within the bounds that I have for you, you're going to live a successful life as a life close to the Lord. And even more than that, you'll receive eternity with me in heaven one day. If you just obey my commandments. It's not about oppression. It's about leading you to life. And I'm thinking, what do I want from my kids? What I, what I really, really want 
I mean, that, that's fine if you buy me golf balls, and I'm glad that they bought me golf balls at Christmas. And I've already lost half of them, but it's okay. Um, what, I, what I actually want is for you to serve Christ, number one, and for you to obey me when I tell you to do something. That's what I actually want. Not to lord over you, but because I see the big picture and you don't yet. So I realize that you don't see that it's a big deal that you do this. Or your friends do this and they're still alive. It must be okay. I have to parent the way that God wants me to parent. And I see a bigger picture. And so while you're figuring out life, would you just obey me? (laughs) Because I'll get you through your adolescence if you just obey me. Because I see the big picture. I know where God wants to take you. So kids, obey your parents. Proverbs 1, verse 8. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. We as Christians in general should not despise correction. We should not... In this culture, in this day and age, you say anything that sounds like a correction and it's, we're oppressive. We're being oppressed. Do not despise correction. Correction keeps us on the straight and narrow. And children, it is the same way. Listen to your father when he corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. It is good for you. It is good. Now, verse 21 of Colossians 3. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Here's what's interesting. Yes, there, are, there is a teamwork. You are teamwork as, as mother and father. And there's two of you, and sometimes there's three of them, so you have to play a little zone defense sometimes, you know? You can't go man to man. Um, so there are, both of you are going to raise the child, but we talk about responsibility and roles. It's interesting that he specifically pinpoints fathers. Do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Both of you are going to give words of instruction, but you understand who God holds as the responsibility. I understand that there are times, there are times when the husband is working and sometimes long hours, and so the wife is at home for the most part with the children, and so the wife has to sometimes hand down discipline or here's your chores or whatever it is. But it's interesting that God holds the man, the husband, as, re- the responsible, as responsible if your children go awry. It is the responsibility of the man, of the husband, to make sure that this is done. So yes, there is discipline that needs to happen. Here's, what, here's, here's a couple things. Tell your child no. Kids need to learn that just because they want something, that they get everything they want all the time. You can imagine if you do that for the length of 18 years, by the time they turn 19 and the boss or, what, or the professor or whatever, for the first time says no, the first time they hear no, they're going to freak out. They're not going to know how to handle it. They need to hear the words no. You can tell them yes, but you can all, they're not going to like no. No one likes to hear the word no. No one does. But they need to hear that word sometimes, okay? Here's, let me give you a scenario. Uh, child walks in, five years old, walks in, mommy, I want candy. No, we're about to eat. 
I want candy! And they immediately throw themselves on the ground, and they're kicking, and they're swirling, and they're doing all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you how to handle that. Okay? You go over here to your Keurig, and you get you a cup of coffee, and you sit down, and you watch the show. Okay? Because it's, it's pretty humorous, actually, if you just kind of watch it. Where are they going to kick this time? Oh, you almost knocked the chair over. Try again. The worst thing you can do after telling them no and they freak out is to say, okay, okay, here you go. Because what you just taught them is if I act like an awful human being, I'll get what I want. Now imagine a five-year-old doing that. Now imagine a 25-year-old doing that. All I have to do is act awful and I'll get what I want. So you tell them no, and then you let them tire themselves out. This is, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is going to be helpful for some. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy, but listen. If you say no and they begin to kick and scream, it will be the worst 10 minutes of your life. I get it. It'll be the worst 10 minutes of your life. But the next time, it will be nine minutes. And the next time, it will be eight minutes. And the next time, it will be seven minutes. And at some point, when you say no, they say, okay, mommy. And you tell them, no, we're not going to do that. Raise your kids to be people that you like and that other people will like. When they are older kids, when you have teenagers, if they are doing something that you disapprove of, you need to tell them that you disapprove of that. Now, you're going to parent a 15-year-old different than you're going to parent a 5-year-old. But in the same way... You look at him and go, look, man, I, I, I see the things that you're doing, and you're not going to like your life if you continue to do these things. If you continue to do this, and this is sometimes a, just a sad reality, is to use examples, use bad examples of people that you know. You know them? You're in a restaurant. You see how they're acting up? Is that what you want to be? You know? But you say, because your responsibility is those children right there. And you say, you're not going to like your life if you keep doing the things that you're doing. Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Wow. What language that is. That's the NLT. It says in the, in the NIV as well. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Wow. Paul doesn't talk about them as rights and responsibilities. Listen, you, you are responsible. It may not be your fault, but you are responsible. If the baby knocks the milk off onto the floor, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to clean it up, isn't it? The baby's not going to do it. Your children are your responsibility. Now, there are wrong ways to require obedience. Absolutely. There are wrong ways to require it. You can't have them do impossible tasks. If they're five years old, they can't do the same chores as a 10-year-old can. So don't expect your five-year-old to take out the garbage. But you can expect your five-year-old to say, let's clean up. This is how we clean up. You see how this is a mess? We put it here in this garbage can. Don't give them impossible things to do. Don't only give them demands. If you start with a demand, 
But instead, if you walk them through it, here's how we do this. Here's how we do this chore. Here's, you know, don't embarrass them. Don't belittle them. Don't name call them. Don't be sarcastic. They don't get it. They, they don't get sarcasm. And by the way, if a, if a seven-year-old learns sarcasm, when they turn 11, you're going to get sarcasm right back, and a lot. So you don't want sarcasm brought back to you, so don't teach them that when they're a kid. They, they don't get sarcasm. Don't be a poor model to them. I'm not going to look at anybody as I say this next thing, okay? If you expect them and tell them to keep their room clean... It sends a mixed message and it is hollow if you do not keep your room clean. Okay. Show love and appreciation. The love languages are still the same. But kids a lot of times need to hear you're doing a good job, buddy. You look so pretty today. They, they need to hear that. Don't let the only thing they hear from you be demands and you got to do this and Tell them these things. When they are interested in something, even if you're not interested in it, show interest in what they're, in what they're doing. You can love the kids. Take every opportunity. Once again, no harsh treatment. We don't treat them harshly. The point of parenting is to grow the child and to be who God is going to make them to be, not to lord over the child necessarily, but to teach the child. I have wonderful news here today as, as I'm closing. We had a family friend whose daughter, uh, for several years, have lived a, a homosexual lifestyle and has walked away from the Lord and all this stuff. Just this past week, she's come back to the Lord. And we are absolutely thrilled about it. They are parents who have taught them well. There are sometimes you do everything right. At some point, they have to make their own decision. Even if it's the wrong decision, bad decision, we continue to pray. We continue to believe. And the Word says when they are old, they will come back to it. And we rejoice with our friends. And we're thankful for that. So parents, teach our kids not just you know, how to throw away trash or clean their room. Teach them how to walk and serve the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, care about their grades you know, a little bit, but are they serving the Lord? That's when we really want to get involved. And talk to them. Talk to them. Don't we care about them so much? I want, I want my kids to make A's and B's. I want my kids to love the Lord. That's what I want. That's what I want. So all of these here together, we follow Christ because Christ is all that matters. Husbands, be a husband that puts Christ first in your relationship with your wife. Wives, be the kind of wife that puts Christ first in your relationship with your husband. Kids, put Christ first in your relationship with your parents, and you'll follow. Parents, put Christ first in your relationship with your children. Paul is teaching this lesson to the Colossians, and they had even a different understanding 2,000 years ago of parenting and all these things, but it was 
perfect advice for the Colossians at the time, and it's perfect advice for us here today. Lord, help us to live this way. Can we stand here together? As we finish here today, I'd like to pray for families. And if you're sitting with your family, great. If you're not sitting with your family, if you want to move and stand next to your family, I want us to be able to pray together as a family. So if you want to stand next to your family, I know some of you are are single or you're here in the room by yourself, that's fine. You can pray for your family as well. But I'd like us to take a minute and to pray for our families. And maybe dads, you want to bring them together and and pray over everybody. If you want to come to the altar, that may be appropriate. If you want to come and kneel together or there at your seat, that's fine. But let's take just a couple of minutes here and let's pray for Christ-centered families in our church here today. And that if we have Christ-centered families, then the church, we're going to go where God wants us to go. I mean, that's just that it will be so easy to follow the Lord if we have Christ-centered families. So go ahead and, and if you want to huddle up, get together with your family and pray. If you're, if you're a husband, if you're a father, pray that way. If you're a wife, if you're a mother, pray that way. If you're a child, pray that way. But just pray with each other and for each other. Take a minute or two and pray, and then we're going to sing a song here together at the end. But let's, let's, let's stop and let's pray for our families here today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we, we pray for Christ-centered families here this morning. Pray for godly women who will look at the culture and say, no thanks. I want to do things God's way. pray for godly men who will stand up and take responsibility for leadership and say, look to the culture and say, no thanks, I'm going to do things God's way. We pray for kids, kids in the room. I want to look at culture and I want to look at other people and how they treat each other and treat their parents and say, no thanks, I want to do things God's way. Dear Lord, what a, what a day in your house. What a day in your house. All of this is because you loved us so much that you have provided us a way to your Father in heaven. Now we thank you for the Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And sometimes we have to get practical and actually what decisions do we make today and tomorrow and this is one of those days and so Lord I pray that you would help us in those times where we, we, we want to buck against the word of God Lord we <clears throat> we pray that because we love you we're going to keep your commandments and we believe that you're going to lead us and guide us into where you want us to go I pray for families I pray for our church we love you in Jesus name Amen Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Thank you, Jesus.